Welcome to the Self Love Breakfast Club, where we have honest conversations about health, wellness, and of course, self love with amazing women who aren't afraid to give it to us straight. Real life, real advice, and no BS. I'm your host, Crystal Rose, and today I'm serving self love for breakfast. This episode is sponsored by my group coaching program. Pendulum. So if you are looking to align yourself in your business, you want to eliminate burnout and hustle, this is for you. If you feel like you have been on like the diet, self-sabotage, hamster wheel, and you just want to feel good in your body, like regardless of what you're doing with training and nutrition, this is for you. If you struggle with anxiety or depressive spirals, and maybe there's trauma or maybe not even trauma with a capital T, but there are some past hurts that have created this, this is for you. If you feel like there's something wrong with you and you don't know what it is, but you feel like that's true, this is for you. If you want to become more connected to yourself and who you are meant to become and find out what even that is, this is for you. If you want to remove the unworthiness and step into deep self-love, this is for you. And if you want to shatter any damn limiting belief that's holding you back, this is for you. Maybe you have done all the mindset work. You've bought the books. You've listened to the podcast. Maybe you've made some progress in the past and you feel like you keep backsliding or you feel like you can't get past this point that you're at now. This is for you. This is a six-month, very intensive, co-nourishing program. And by that, I mean that you are in community with other women. There are other women who have come to the table, they are working on themselves, and they are supporting you in this process. And whether or not you are, maybe you're too shy to put yourself out there in front of other people, this container is so safe. And when other people share you reap the benefits. Maybe you don't want to share. Maybe you don't want to talk. That's okay. Because this program is designed where you can do the work individually and together in a way where it doesn't, you don't have to necessarily share um, in order to reap the benefits. Now, if you do, of course, of course, that would be really helpful. And you are helping other people by sharing your story, but it's not necessary. If my last group is any indicator that this stuff works. Oh my goodness. There were so many friendships and deep relationships cultivated during this process. There was so much support, so much love. And you guys get me in your face, (laughs) loving, supporting, and being there for you. I am so, so, so dedicated to the women in all of my programs, um, and especially this group program. It is very near and dear to my heart. So if this sounds like something just even a little bit intriguing for you. We can do this in multiple ways. You can slide up in my DMs um, at Extel Rose on Instagram. We can chat back and forth. I would love to talk to you about it. Or you can go ahead and book a discovery call with me and we can sit face to face and have that conversation too. I absolutely love hearing from you guys and I absolutely love knowing like what you're going through so I can really see if it's a good fit for you or not because it may not be and that's okay. 
So if you go to crystalrose.com, you click on coaching, there's more information about the pendulum program, about what I do, about what it looks like, everything that you get. And if you still have questions, you can absolutely reach out to me at Rose on Instagram. We start in January and it is going to be the best way to kick off a new year and not just a new year, a new life because this program will help you transform into the woman that you're meant to become, the woman you already are. And there is no backsliding. I hope to see you in there. Now back to the show. Hello and welcome back to the Self Love Breakfast Club podcast. I'm so happy you guys are here today. I have an awesome guest and you probably might know her. And if you don't, um, get ready to meet her because she is awesome. Jessica Wester is on a mission to help women find the courage to live authentically in all spaces of their life. She got her start on social media as a competitive powerlifter and strength coach. However, in 2021, after years of training and two national competitions later, she found herself once again struggling with an eating disorder from her past, orthorexia, body dysmorphia, and a bulging disc. It was at this point that she realized she needed to take a step back from the competition platform rebuild her relationship with her body, mind, and movement. Now, Jessica has turned to focusing her efforts on creating through her photography, promoting self-love and acceptance, and is extremely passionate about the topics of ADHD in women, mental health, eating disorder recovery, and fashion. Jessica, welcome to the Self-Love Breakfast Club. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. I am so pumped that you're here. So we have a little initiation we like to do um, called goals, gratitude, and badassery, GGB. So right off the bat right now, what's your like biggest goal or what are some goals that you have? Mm, I would say biggest goal right now. First off, um, I'd like to expand my photography business. Photography has been a passion of mine. I actually went to school and I have an art degree, so it makes sense to use it. (laughs) I mean, why not? Right. (laughs) Right. Um, and then also expanded to some business ventures and become a little bit more um, financially independent and, um, you know, keep creating. I, I really like the sort of um, Instagram provides a lot of different outlets for me to be mm-hmm. able to create and to express myself. And I just want to continue to build on that. I love it. And gratitude. What are you grateful for? Um, grateful for there's. I would say something I'm most grateful for um, right now would be getting my ADHD diagnosis. I think that Mm. that was something that absolutely changed. I don't don't think I know that that was something that absolutely changed my life this year. And so I'm really grateful to finally be able to know what is going on and have answers because it has impacted my work. It's impacted Mm. my relationships. It's impacted my relationship, my relationship with myself. Um, so it's been, it's been really great. Awesome. We will dig into that in a little bit. And then badassery. So something that you've done recently that you're super proud of, or you think is pretty badass. Um, something that I've done recently, and maybe this, this might come off as like uh, quitting, but to me, it was something, <laughs> it was something that I spent my life devoting to. And so it was good for me to be able to step away. I, when I was powerlifting and strength coaching, I was going to back to school to apply to physical therapy school. Mm. Um, and I ended up not getting accepted. And I kind of had this moment, like, I feel like a huge failure. I went through two years of school after already graduating. 
um, trying to get into this and then I failed and I stopped and asked myself, um, you know, is this really what you want to do? Like, what are you passionate about? What is something that you could see yourself doing? And I was like, I don't want to do this. So I'm, I feel like, and maybe this is cliche, but I feel like a badass for being able to step back from that. Something that I had devoted my life to. I was a strength coach and I built my identity around powerlifting yeah. and being, going to physical therapy, being a student, being a powerlifter. And I completely stepped away from that. And it was scary to do that because I had built up this entire persona and this entire identity. And so to be able to break away from that and be like, that's not what I want anymore. I feel like that was a very badass thing for me to do. Yeah. It was really scary. yeah, no, I mean, I, I totally agree with that because like I heard this story and I'm going to mess this up. And I might've even told it on here at one point before, <laughs> but there's a story about this, this lawyer, right? He was in law school. He spent all this time in law school. Um, and then was a lawyer for a year and was like, I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. And, you know, friends and family are like, but you know, you spent all this time in law school and you spent all this time and this is what you're going to do. And this is where you're going to be. And so 50 years later, you know, he was like retiring and he was like, I'm, I hated that, that, that I hated that. <laughs> it was miserable. And, and yeah. And, and it was like such like one of those like meant to be like lessons, like, like when you double down on something and you commit to it just because the time that you've spent getting there um, to not honor yourself and like, not, you know, I don't want to do this. And to not honor that you end up being miserable for like, now we're miserable for 50 years as opposed yeah. to just that one. Oh my God. So, yes. It's, it's yeah. the, the sunk cost fallacy, you know, yeah. I think because I've invested so much into this, I need to do this. I can't change. And I definitely have heard, um, and I hear it, especially from women too. Um, like, Oh, well I've been doing this, so I can't really change. I'm like, you can do whatever the f- <laughs> want yeah. I know it's scary but like you can do whatever you want like if you don't really love what you do like find a way to do something else yeah I mean I think about it though it wasn't for nothing right like you learned mm-hmm. tons of things and it was you know it was on your path and so there was all this culmination of things that were going on and events and and learning experiences and rises and falls that got you to where you are and just because you didn't want to continue down that path does not mean it wasn't for something Oh, absolutely. Like, even though I separated from that and I was like, this is what I want to don't, this isn't what I want to do anymore. I'm still like so grateful for what that experience like provided me with. Like if I didn't, if I wasn't on that path at that time, I wouldn't be here. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's really, it's really crazy how, how things kind of like work out, you know, you never totally. really know what's going to happen. Exactly. It's, you know, we're, we're all exactly where we're supposed to be. <laughs> So let's talk about this ADHD. And I, I love that you've been talking about this lately. I've seen, I saw you when you started to kind of like dip mm-hmm. into it. And now you're like, you know, you talk about it a lot. And it's so funny because I think it was like, God, it got to be more than 10 years ago. Um, I was in like a terrible relationship, but I was forgetting stuff all the time, just like forgetting stuff all of the time. And I went to my doctor and they're Alzheimer's runs in my family. So I was like, do I have like some crazy, like, <laughs> Like, like 20 something, 30, you know, yeah, year you're old, like, this like, is too early. yeah, like, like, do I have like early, 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 early Alzheimer's? Like, is my brain just like deteriorating? Like what's happening? And, and so my doctor gave me this like memory test and mm-hmm. he was like, wow, you scored perfectly. So I was like, okay, am I just not paying attention? <laughs> it was like, 
no, you're not. And it, we, we determined that I had ADHD and, you know, I went, I've gone the whole gamut between like being on medication and now I'm not on it, but it was just like, what, you know, this discovery. So I would love to hear about a little bit more about your journey and like this whole process for you. Yeah. I, um, I had a late diagnosis. I was diagnosed at, um, 25 with ADHD after two years of trying to get evaluated. Mm. Um, but I, I struggled with, um, my mental health with anxiety and depression for a long time. Um, Mm. Uh, I think like starting around 12 to 13 is when I really started struggling. I started struggling a lot um, with my body image because I was going through like puberty. And then I also developed an eating disorder, um, which it was a binge eating disorder. And actually people who have ADHD are much more likely to develop a binge eating disorder Mm. simply because um, ADHD is a lack of dopamine in the brain and food provides dopamine you're much more likely to develop a binge eating disorder or any eating disorder because Mm. of the way that our brains are wired. And because of what I now know that was unmedicated and undiagnosed ADHD Mm. that led to struggling with anxiety and depression. And I really, I had a hard time, but I made good enough grades in school that no one ever thought. And I never, I never told my parents that I struggled until I was in college. I actually, um, like attempted to take my life when I was like 13. I didn't obviously didn't, um, succeed thankfully. And I didn't tell my mom until I was a freshman in college and they had no idea that I was struggling. They had no idea that it was really hard for me to pay attention in school because I just worked like five times harder than Mm. everyone else. You know, like I was so proud of that C I got in math. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I worked hard. Oh God, math was so hard. <laughs> oh my God, I know, I know. And I remember my math teacher telling me like, you know, you'd be really good if you just try. And I was like, I am trying. I am trying. <laughs> I am trying. I don't get it. <laughs> I know. So, so through college, like no one ever suspected anything. I was really good at coping and really good at masking. And then I was thrown Mm. into college. Sorry, I'm in high school. I never knew. But then when I was thrown into college, um, it was like a whole new world because, you know, you don't have the structured schedule and you get to choose whatever you want to do. And that's exciting. But at the same time, I was like, Mm. uh, what? (laughs) (laughs) Just like paralyzed that ADHD process. I was kind of like, um, okay, I don't know how to balance all these things. Mm. And so I started experiencing a lot of depression and anxiety again as well. Um, I think also something that helped me in high school was I was a part of team sports. So I was constantly with the team doing stuff. I did volleyball and track and cheerleading. I was busy all of the time. Mm. And I thought of my body more as like something that I needed to fuel in order to do these things that I enjoy. Yeah. So it, it helped me break away from the eating disorder, the anxiety and the depression. And so getting thrown into college in a new environment just totally exacerbated um, all of that. And I didn't really know how to express it. And I never really told anybody. I opened up to my mom and I think probably my, it was my junior year of high school, of college, I finally went to therapy and um, to seek professional help. I was sexually assaulted. Um, and I had like this huge panic attack. Um, I can remember vividly. It was like this, um, event at college for like some study abroad fair. And I was like, I'll just go, everything's fine. I'm going to go, go to this thing. And I just had a huge panic attack. 
and had to leave immediately. Like mm-hmm. I just couldn't stop it. And I called my mom and I was like, can you help me set up a therapy appointment? I, I need help. Yeah. And, and she helped me set it up. I saw someone the next week. I was just generalizing anxiety. And um, they were like, you know, here's this SSRI, take this, you know. And um, I took it for a while and I just felt like a zombie. And I was like, I don't feel like this mm-hmm. is really helping, but... I don't know, maybe I'll just keep going to therapy and just not do medication. And um, a couple years later, I tried a different anxiety med. And um, it wasn't until 2019 that um, I was still struggling with anxiety and depression. And I was going to therapy, I had an anxiety medication, it like kind of worked, like it would make me feel more relaxed. Mm -hmm. but didn't seem to actually help me. Yeah. And then back in 2019, I had a friend who also had anxiety, um, but was evaluated. And she was like, I actually have ADHD this entire time. They thought it was just my anxiety, uh, but it was my ADHD causing me to be anxious because I couldn't focus. I couldn't remember things. I couldn't stay on task. And I was Mm. like, oh my God, these are all like, wait, (laughs) is that normal? I was like, this isn't normal. And, um, you know, cause like when I would talk to my mom and my mom's now trying to be, um, get in for an evaluation, cause I'm sure she's who I got it from. <laughs> um, she, I would always talk to her she, and I'd be like, mom, I'm like doing this thing, doing this thing. And I'm like, do this, do that, this. And she's like, oh, that's normal, sweetie. I'm like, oh, so it's not normal. It's just hereditary. <laughs> You're like, it's normal oh, for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so 2019, I brought it up to my therapist that I was seeing at the time. And I was like, I really think that it's ADHD. And I know that a lot of people probably think they have ADHD and I don't want to, you know, jump the gun here. But I I explained, you know, my reasoning behind it to her and she was very supportive and um, helped me kind of like navigate um, until I could get an evaluation um, the first evaluation I went to, and this is really common for women, unfortunately, mm. um, the woman said she was going to give me the evaluation I asked for. I received an, I wanted to receive a neuropsychological evaluation. Um, and she gave me one piece of paper, uh, saw me once at the next, um, appointment. She told me verbatim, I think that it might be ADHD. There's a possibility, but I'd like to put you on antidepressants instead. Like what? Like what? <laughs> like that's not what? I, I know. I was like, um, well, you didn't even do what I asked you to do. And I told you that I don't. And she tried to give me um, like the generic name um, mm. instead of what it was actually called, trying to be slick. And I, yeah. I was like, um, I know what that is. And I'm not going to take that. So... <laughs> She was like, oh, okay, well, you know, if you ever want to talk again, I was like, um, no, but thanks. Bye. <laughs> yeah, clearly not, because you just dismissed everything I brought to you. So that's and cool. this is this is something that's so I'll, I'll go on a tangent. Um, this is something that is so common for women. Um, oh yeah. Because women are um, what is it, boys are three times more likely to be diagnosed with ADHD than women. Well, it presents and, different. I mean, yeah, right? I, like it presents mm-hmm. totally different. Like I remember when I was in school. You know, the guy, the guy, the kids, the boys with ADHD were like crazy. Like it was obvious. Like hyperactive. It was like, yeah. But people don't realize like there's three types of ADHD. 
There's hyperactive, primarily um, inattentive, and then there's combined. And women more often than not um, can present as primarily inattentive. Um, But even if they are hyperactive, women usually internalize everything. Yeah. If, If they're struggling in school, it's their fault. You know, like, oh, it's my fault. I'm, I'm dumb. I should try harder, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's why women are more likely to develop mood disorders like anxiety and depression and then being diagnosed with that instead. Um, because right, because of all of the suppression mm-hmm. yeah. and, and trying to manage and like want to, you know, being afraid to let anyone know that you're struggling mm-hmm. and then it all gets like down under the surface. And then you, then here we are with anxiety, yep. depression and, and ADHD. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. 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 It just, it just compounds on top of each other. And then that's why women get diagnosed later in life too, or much more often than not get diagnosed later yeah. in life. Um, they internalize all these things and doctors write them off. Um, my mom had the same issue. The first doctor that she saw for an evaluation, tried to give her an antidepressant, didn't even give her what uh, she asked for. And I told her, I was like, let me help you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after, but after that lady tried to give me antidepressants, I, reached back out to my therapist and I was like, do you know of anyone else? Uh, I'm not having any luck. Mm. And she con- she connected me with a neuropsychologist um, here in St. Louis. And he performed a full neuropsychological evaluation, like four or five hour test. Mm. Um, the most thorough test I've ever been through with any medical professional. Um, and he was like, you definitely have ADHD. He's like, you have really high, um, <clears throat> excuse me. He's like, you have really high, like visual memory and visual recall. He was like, that would make sense why you're, um, into art and you're mm-hmm. good at creating things. He's like, but you have, um, he's like, nothing is lacking. He's just like, you've honed on these other skills so much because you can't grasp these other like executive function skills. Mm-hmm. He's like, that it just feels like you're lacking. He's like, but I really think that you could benefit from medication and so he connected me with a doctor. Um, I got blood work done and finally got on ADHD medication. And the first week I was on it, I was just like, this is, this is, this is how you guys normally are. This is normal. <laughs> this is what normal people do. This from me? <laughs> That's I so had no idea. Um, and I think the biggest, uh, caveat was the first day I took it. Um, I had just competed at my uh, last powerlifting meet and I, instead of feeling this need to like run around and do things while I was like resting, mm. I just like sat on the couch and watched a movie, but watched the entire movie. Didn't get up. Didn't say like, Oh, I've got to go do this. Oh, I got to go do this. And then at the end of the day, my boyfriend was like, do you realize that like you have not tried to do anything today. <laughs> He's like, do you realize that you have actually relaxed it? I was like, oh my God, this stuff works. It's like <laughs> and, amazing. Yeah, it's I was like, oh my God, this is so wild. Um, so that that was kind of like my ADHD journey. And I was yeah. I was diagnosed back in April of this year. I think it was like April. Yeah. And so it hasn't been long. Um but the change that I have seen has just been uh, like unbelievable. Yeah. And, um, it's so, this is so important. Like I, I talk about this all the time on the podcast, you guys, like whenever we have like a health episode or we, you know, we discuss 
things like that, that like being your own advocate, like you have to be, you can't just like put something, unfortunately, you can't just put something in one doctor's hands and they tell you this and then you, oh, okay. And you take it. Like if you know something is wrong, like you know, your body better than anyone, better than anyone. And if you know something isn't quite right or something is off with your body, like you have to keep pushing until you get answers, like period. And, you know, whether or not that, you know, the answer for you, you know, or the options for you may or may not be medication. If it is medication, awesome. If it makes you feel better, great. You know, if that's not something you want to do long-term, awesome. Like <laughs> if it's something you don't want to do at all, cool. But, you know, be sure that you are 100% advocating for yourself in the whole experience because there are women who take years and years and years and years and years to get answers for anything, whether it be their thyroid or her ADHD or, you know, like, Hey, just something feels weird. And I, and I, and then they get dismissed. It's awful. It's very awful. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure men experience this as well. The healthcare system is so overburdened and, but women, especially like I know so many women that when they bring up concerns to a doctor, they're just like, Oh, well, you know, it's probably something else. Yeah. It's just like, hello. You're just tired. Yeah, you're just tired. Don't worry. <laughs> like, take a nap. Right. Um, I, I've had insomnia since I was like five years old. So clearly, there's like, uh, like some of my emotional trauma from my past is like the reason for that. So like, that's something I'm continuously working on. But there have been so many times where a doctor has been like, "You need to seem to get more sleep." <laughs> what do you? Th- I'm trying. Do you think I don't want that? <laughs> Like my life's goal is to get eight hours of sleep at night. <laughs> like, are you kidding? <laughs> Gosh, I mean, that's like, you're so right. Like you have to be um, your, your biggest advocate, especially in the healthcare system, because like so many doctors will just pass you along or they won't listen yeah. or they'll dismiss you. And well, like, you'd be on depression medication right now. Yeah. And, and I knew, I, I, just, <laughs> I knew, and I refused to take it. I was like, I would rather continue to suffer and try to cope on my own than be on something that I know is not what I need. Yeah. And, and, and I feel like a lot of women struggle with also telling her doctor, no, like I know my mom even Mm -hmm. did for a while. She was like, well, the doctor, I was like, fuck the doctor. (laughs) They work for you. Mm -hmm. I completely think that we should respect, you know, medical professionals and like respect their opinion. And like, they went to school, you know, but at the same time, also like, you're employing them to do a job for you. Yeah. They, you are in the driver's seat of your own health. You know, they're just there to help you facilitate. And if you don't like how they're facilitating. Exactly. You can see someone else. They are not your healer. Like we need to mm-hmm. stop going to other people and expecting them to heal us. Like you are your healer. And there's a difference between having someone guide you into your healing, whether or not that be a life coach, a therapist, a doctor, um, and actually healing you and if someone says that their healing isn't your healing is in their hands run away yeah it should (laughs) never be like you can never you never want to put that into someone else's hands you know and I I totally agree with that that's that's really that's really well said I like how you said that thank you (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk about let's talk about the the body image stuff because um that I obviously that's something that women as a we just, we struggle with, I mean, we're, we've been socially conditioned to honestly struggle. With oh, body absolutely. Image. Yeah. So uh, how did, so you made this flip, like you were, you were powerlifting and competing and then you were like, oh shit, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> this sucks. I don't want to be here anymore. So like, 
what was that like? Just even just like that awareness of I'm in trouble. Like when, when was this? Like, was this around the ADHD time? Like, cause it seems like you had a lot of like, um, the timelines definitely overlapped. Um, okay. I, like I said, I started struggling, um, with body dysmorphia and, and eating disorder very young. Um, and then through sports, it kind of helped me. And so in college, um, I became pretty obsessed with like working out again. And I was, you know, doing that whole, like, pulling the bread out of your burger bun because mm-hmm. it saves calories, you know, and, <laughs> and like, Oh, you know, I just like to start my workout with a nice six miles on the elliptical. No big deal. <laughs> just as a, a warm up. Yeah. Um, and so through college, I struggled a lot with it as well because I didn't really have a sport or an mm-hmm. outlet to see my body as like, I need to feel my body. It does this thing and it can't do this thing if I don't eat. Um, and it was probably my senior year. Yeah, it was my senior year of college. My current boyfriend, um, he joined the powerlifting team at his grad school. And he was like, you should powerlift. Like, these girls are awesome. They're lifting a bunch of weight. I was doing, like, 225 pounds um, on squats for, like, 10. And I just, like, wouldn't go up. That's all I would do. <laughs> like, like, no big just, deal. Fine, I'll stick right here. <laughs> and he, he was like, you know if you could do that much, imagine how much you could do for like one rep. And I was like, Oh no, 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 that's dangerous. Yeah. Cause that's like really freaking strong. Just like, like <laughs> 225 for reps, no big. <laughs> I was like, you want me to put more weight? No, this is a lot. Like this is fine. Um, and he talked me into doing like my first meet. I was, I had a lot of reservations around starting powerlifting because at that time I had not looked at the scale for two years mm. um, because I was like, yeah, if I just like take the scale out, that fixes all my problems. Yeah. <laughs> but there was still a lot going on in my head that yeah, I wasn't. People fail, fail to realize that when you have a trigger food or mm-hmm. a trigger item, like the scale or even a trigger person cutting any of that out of your life is like all well and great, like for the moment, but like, there's still something else that needs to be worked on that most people don't. Yep. Yep. And that was exactly <laughs> what happened because yeah. as soon as I started powerlifting, he was like, well, there's weight classes. And I was like, what? <laughs> I have, I have to weigh myself. He was like, yeah, it's okay. Like you can just compete at whatever weight you're at. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I can totally do that. That'll be fine. That'll, I can, I'll do that. That's cool. And I can remember probably for the first, I signed up for my first meet and I was about five ish months out from it. And every single time I, w- I was weighing myself twice a day mm. and I would cry over the scale and it was just a mess. And I, I tried to cut for it because I was like, oh, I want to be in the lower weight class because my numbers are better. Mm. That. Like I should do that. I, and then probably a couple weeks before the meet, um, my mother's sister passed away and my great grandmother passed away like within a couple of days of each other. And so I was stressed. My family was stressed. We had two funerals. I had two funerals I had to go to before the meet. And I was like, I don't want to cut anymore. And my boyfriend Hayden was like, that's a great idea. (laughs) I felt so bad for him because he had no idea what Mm -hmm. he was dealing with. And he was just trying to be supportive, but didn't know how. And I didn't know how to tell him what I needed because I didn't know. Yeah. I was just like, the scale is such a trigger for me and I don't know how to work through it. And so I 
I continued to try and want to cut. I tried to do another meet and I dieted for it. Didn't make the weight class. And then I was like, well, you know, maybe I'll try again. And my probably third and fourth meet, I, I dieted for again. And then after I competed at raw nationals, um, for USAPL, I was like, I don't want to diet anymore. It was the hardest diet I had ever done to get mm-hmm. down to the 63 kilo weight class. I don't know why I did it. I would have lifted so much better had I just not cut and yeah. I would have had so much more fun. Um, but after, after dieting for that, I was like, I can't do this anymore. This is so bad. For dieting me. sucks. I, you know, I, I was just like, <laughs> I'm miserable. This is terrible. This is not worth it. Mm. And so I continued to compete um, just at like the weight I was at, but I had been dieting on and off for so, so long. I, um, I was like, I'm just going to eat intuitively. I'm going to stop tracking and I'm going to accept whatever weight I gain. I'm just going to go with it. Mm. And I'm going to learn to listen to my body and learn how to not track food because I also, it took me probably a year and a half after tracking to still not reach for like diet stuff when I was shopping. Like, oh, like get this lower calorie option because then I can eat the whole thing. And I still have that binge um, mindset as Mm. well. And dieting only exacerbated that because, you know, when you're dieting, a lot of people are like, oh, eat for volume, eat for volume. And so that only triggered my binge eating even more. And so when I was like, I want to stop dieting, I was like, um, maybe I'll still have diet food though. Cause then I can eat the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And so there was a large, not large, a very long period of just trying. doing some weird shit with your food. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I know. It, it was, it was rough. Um, but then I'd say probably this year, I finally kind of come to a point where I no longer feel like my, I feel like, um, not remission, but I feel recovered from my Mm -hmm. eating disorder, like fully recovered. I feel like I was in faux recovery last year. Yeah. Um, because I was still reaching for diet foods and being like, this is what I like, Mm, you know, like (laughs) camouflaging that I liked it, but when I was only reaching for it, cause it was low calorie and I was afraid. It's such a process though. Like it's, it's like, I think a lot of the times people feel really stuck in this like diet loop and like, you know, they don't want to let go of counting calories or counting macros because it's like terrifying. It's control. Um, It has, you have control over it, you know? Yeah. And it's like a pendulum swing, you know, like when you first kind of let go. Um, And Mm -hmm. I experienced this when I moved to intuitive eating, like, you know, and, and I gained weight at first because like your body, you're just, figuring shit out you know and your body's also like what is going on yeah yeah and like I think like most people don't want to see it through like we want this like instant results we want to be where we want to be right friggin now we don't want to go through the uncomfortable stuff Mm -hmm. um but it's kind of like you know this pendulum is swinging and it's like in this way other opposite direction from like the diet craziness oh yeah and then you know maybe you gain a little bit of weight but then it's like things kind of like settle once you mm-hmm. get more comfortable and, and you feel better and you stop doing the weird shit and you're like, <laughs> and you're really actually able to listen. And so, you know, I think, I think intuitive eating is really glamorized. I mean, I used to be a nutrition coach. And so like, mm-hmm. like there is a lot um, that I used to help myself with, but then other people and just seeing all, having all these experiences, you know, like I think intuitive eating is like glamorized sometimes out there on Instagram. You get this like perfect little fit looking, like perfect 
girl being like, I just intuitively eat and like, yes. you know, and it's just like people, I mean, I used to look at that chick and be like, how, uh, how, what? Because, <laughs> right. Like my intuition is like eat this whole pizza crystal. Like that's, right. you know, at the time I was like, this is insane. Like whatever. And now you're like lying to people and telling people it's so easy to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like listening to your body when most of us live in our heads, it's so hard to, to li- actually genuinely listen. Um, and so then when I went through my, you know, healing journey and, and coaching certification to teach women to listen to their bodies, I was like, Mm -hmm. oh shit, I should probably like do intuitive eating here because like, this would be more in integrity with like who I am and like what I'm trying to do. And so, you know, I, I did that and, and it was hard, but I, to really genuinely be able to listen to yourself is not easy. No. No, especially because women are taught to like, if you've gained weight, you got to lose it. You got to get back in shape. Yeah. You know, oh, well, you're going to get uh, your body back after the baby. Yeah, you know, exactly. like, oh, well, you put on, like, women are just constantly berated and constantly like they're. And, ju- and judge themselves. Judging. I mean, it's, yeah, I, they, I hear the meanest shit from women about themselves. I mean, yeah. you, I also own Rebellia. And so like, you know, there are times where, you know, we'll drop like a crop top or something and I want to like, just lose it because we'll have this like list of women being like, I don't wear crop tops because my belly, blah, blah, blah. After having a baby. And it's like, oh my God, <laughs> how about like, who, who told you? you can't? Like, yeah. Like to me, I'm like, it's more acceptable to just be like, I don't wear crop tops because I don't like being cold than like, you know, <laughs> like, I don't wear crop tops because insert some, you know, insecurity that someone else instilled in me here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, oh. and it's just, it's because it's so commonly instilled in women. They're just like, yeah. oh, it's just normal. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, if you want to wear a fucking crop top, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Ooh, like, wear the crop top. Where or how old you are or like whatever. Yeah. If you feel good, like that matters. That's what matters. If you feel good, that's what matters. It doesn't matter what anyone right. else thinks or what anyone else says. If so how do women good. get to the point where they're feeling good and not focusing on the physical? Because I think that's the struggle, right? It's like, if I get to here, weight wise, mm-hmm. inch wise, whatever, then I'll be happy or I can wear the crop top then. So it's like, okay, how do we do that? How do we do that before you get there? Or maybe if you don't get there, how can we get you to feel good in a crop top? <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's a question that I've asked myself a lot too. Yeah. And it's something that I, I don't feel like I fully understood until this year. Um, and like women ask me all too, Same. like, oh, I wish I could be like as confident as you, you know, you've gained weight and like you seem more confident. I'm like, yeah, because the fact of the matter is like, nobody's going to love my body for me. And I don't mm-hmm. love my body every day. Don't get me wrong. Some days I'm like, oh man, yeah. I'm not super stoked on you, but I still appreciate and I still respect my body. And I feel like in order to get to the point where you are like, fuck it, I want to wear the crop top mm-hmm. or I want to do whatever I want to do and I don't care is you just have to stop listening to other people and you have to stop listening to people that criticize you. You have to stop listening to that inner critic. Yeah. That crazy voice in your head, that one needs to go. And you also (laughs) realize that like, if you base your happiness on a size, Mm -hmm. you will never be happy because your body is going to fluctuate your entire life. Yeah. We have seasons. Like we have seasons. Mm Mm-hmm. 
It's so, you know, there are times where I don't barely work out at all because the season is just, it's just I'm yeah, not, it's not, you yeah. know, it's that's not a me right now. I'm like not feeling it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I think that's like people and especially women, women are just always like expected to be like on top of it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just important to realize that if you want to feel good about yourself, you can't listen to people that try to bring you down and you have to realize that your body is the longest relationship that you're ever going to be in. Absolutely. So make it a yeah. good one. You know? Love it. And take it. It's been loving you this whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it has been loving you this whole time. I think some of that to being comfortable might be exposure therapy, right? Like, you know, oh, yeah. I don't, I don't feel comfortable wearing this. Well, okay. Maybe try wearing it for a couple of hours and just like, mm-hmm. where around you, your house? Will you die? Like, did you die? Yeah. <laughs> wear it around your house for a couple hours, you know? And I think a big thing too, is like, maybe if you are doing something or wearing something you're uncomfortable with, make sure that you surround yourself with people who are supportive and people who are positive and people who want to help you feel better, not bring you down. Right. You have that choice. Yep. You have that choice. Your environment. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you have to cut out every single person who's toxic. Cause like, no, let's be real. But like, you know, it's, it's less of that and more of just like time and place. Right. You know, mm-hmm. there are certain people that I, that are invited into deeper parts of my life, um, because I trust them, love them. They respect me. I respect them, all of that. And then there's people that are more on the perimeter of my life that I just, you know, and, and, and if you're on the perimeter, like, guess what? Your opinion doesn't, doesn't hit. <laughs> I may like you, but yeah. I don't consider your opinion. Yeah, yeah. your opinion, and that's not. that's so true. Yeah, because you you control the amount of energy that you give to people. Absolutely, don't give it. people more than they um, are entitled to. Like you know, just because someone's like. Also, I got this question. I do an AMA every Tuesday, mm. and I got this question yesterday. Someone was like, "How to deal with pressure um, from family." And I was like, fuck them. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, if my family was ever unsupportive or toxic or rude towards me and I expressed to them that I didn't like it and I set a boundary and they didn't respect that boundary, bye. Yeah. Because just because someone's your family doesn't mean you owe them anything. No. And it's, you know, you can just let them know like, hey, these are my boundaries and like you're crossing it this is not cool. I'm not, I'm not into this. And, and so I think it's just like, like you said, like people just really think way too much about what others think. And I think they let too many people um, have access to their energy that shouldn't have access. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. People don't realize that, you know, your energy is, it's not something that you just have to like let bleed out all everywhere. Like you can protect your energy, not just for like other humans, but also like even just like the ick of social media or like the ick of the world. Like mm-hmm. I always refer yeah. to empath, like the sloppy empath. Like you don't have to be sloppy. Like you can, when people are like, oh, I'm just, everything's so heavy and I just, I couldn't do anything all day because of this. And it's like, you're being sloppy with your energy. Like you don't have to be like that. You can still feel your feelings and like be mm-hmm. sad, but you don't have to absorb that is like, that's been such a big thing for me. Yeah. Um, social media wise, um, because now I've been, my page has been growing. Um, I have had to set boundaries with myself. Yeah. And like my phone is on do not disturb at a certain time. Like I don't get notifications from Instagram. I only see them when I open the app. 
Mm. Um, and then I set out specific times where I sit down during the day to like respond to messages, respond to comments. And then in that time period, that's the time I have. And if I, anything I don't get out of that, I, I go on, I leave yeah. it and I come back to it when I have time. Um, and also utilizing the block button this year has been a big win for me <laughs> because I used to get so upset. Like people say really mean things on the yeah, internet and, and it's always people you don't know, mm-hmm. people that don't follow you, that don't care about you. They just want to be me. Yeah. And I, I used to always take it very personally um, until I was like, you know what? I don't need to respond to them. I don't mm-hmm. need to justify anything to this person. I'm just blocking them yeah. because I don't care. And, yeah, because it's not about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like employing those boundaries with myself and like making sure that I'm sticking to them has helped me not feel so overwhelmed and like sad and mm. or angry or frustrated with social media. I'm like, love it. Yep, this is fun. My feed's curated to exactly what I need to see, and I spend this amount of time, and then I go do other things. That's perfect. I love mm-hmm. it. So we like to end things on a quote. So is there a quote that you've been feeling or maybe you live by that you want to share with us? Oh, this is my favorite um, quote. And um, I always like to bring this up and I know maybe it's overused, but Maya Angelou said, you know, people um, will forget what you say to them, Mm -hmm. but they'll never forget how you make them feel. Absolutely. And um, that's just kind of a quote that I really try to live my life by. Um, I love that. So it's a good one. <laughs> it, it is. It's true. I, I can't remember a lot of things that said to me, but I can remember how I feel at them. Yeah, absolutely. You know? and yeah. I, think it, I, think I love that. Very true. So where can my listeners find you? So I am on Instagram, um, at underscore Jessica Wester. Um, also on the TikTok at <laughs> underscore Jessica Wester. Um, I post a lot of funny kind of meme content there. It's kind of, I let loose a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, keep up with, you know, the kids. Yeah. Oh yeah. The kids. <laughs> um, and currently my website is under construction, but once it's up, it will just be, um, jessicawester.com. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been great chatting with you and I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, uh, you know, that someone listening at least feels less alone from, you know, parts of this conversation for sure. Absolutely. Me too. (laughs) I had a great time. Thank you, Crystal. (laughs) If this episode hit with you, please go out there and share it. Share it in your Instagram stories, send it to a friend who might need it, or even just drop in my DMs on Instagram at Rose and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you guys. Thanks for listening. 